Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Intentional Agribusiness Leader Podcast. The podcast where we actually explore the minds of leaders from all around the agriculture and agribusiness space about what it takes to lead intentionally in this industry today. My friends, if there's some value in here for you today, we ask you to subscribe to the podcast, share this with someone who needs to hear the message of what it takes to be intentional. Let's get into the show. Well, Dean, thank you for taking the time to be on the Intentional Agribusiness Leader podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I think what you guys are doing out there at FarmGrade is super cool. And I'm looking forward to getting your take on what intentional leadership looks like to you. So let's start with there. What, is, uh, what does it mean for you to be intentional? Well, I'm I'm excited to be here too. Excited to have this conversation and appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, to me, what it means to be intentional is to have a goal in mind and to drive towards that goal. To be goal oriented. I like it. I like it, and it it really can be just that simple. You know. Yeah. And- and- I think our goals change. I think that they're fluid, mm-hmm. right? I I can set a goal and a year later I can find that, hey, I, I need to tweak that or bend it around a little bit. But uh, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, you you tweak it, strive towards it. And as circumstances, you know, allow or, or require, you you make corrections, but you still need to have a goal in mind, you know, to be intentional. Here's something I'm out here to achieve, something that I want to, something that I want to go get. That's right. Do you find yourself needing like like lots of little goals to stack up in order to create a big goal? Do you break things down that way or is it good enough for you? And this, and this is how I am. Here's the big goal. I'm not very good at breaking things down into small bite-sized steps. Some people are, and they like, I'm just curious on your take. Yeah. So I, I think that for me, there are steps to achieve that goal. So you can say there's there's a set of smaller goals inside of that that big goal, right, that you're working towards. And once again, back to the fluidness of it, I think that those those goals change periodically. I think that there are things that require that you tweak those goals so that they don't knock you off the path towards the big goal. Right. So I for me, it's a, it's a series of smaller goals within, you know, a design to get to the, to the end goal. Good stuff. Well, you know, we talked with a fair number of leaders on this podcast already. Uh, As we look around the broad scope of the industry, as we have been in, in the interviews, a lot of people, a lot of companies have been struggling with talent retention in agribusiness. I'm just curious if we're going to talk about goals, I'm, I'm hoping one of them is to keep people around and build thriving teams to each their own. But what are, what are some things you guys are doing over there to, to be intentional about retaining talent, attracting talent and doing good things that way? So I like this question and I think it ties right back to goals, right? So for me running a business, I've got a goal of sales and gross margin and, and I have a goal of what I want to get to in hiring salesmen, which is primarily, that's been my task and my charge, and then maintaining that sales team, um, it's important to find out what their goals are, 
because their goals don't necessarily align with my goals. My goal might be to make them the best salesman in the world and have them hit, you know, a, a new record high in sales. And that may not be their goal. Their goal might be to have a smaller sales base and just take really good care of them and, and not dedicate all that time to being the top salesman. They may not be driven the same way. And so I think that in that hiring of somebody, you have to find out what their goals are. And if their goals can align or help you with your goals in running a business, then, then I think that that's a good match. And you just have to remember, you know, what drives them. Some of them, some of them need attention. Some of them need recognition as they strive to reach those goals. Some of them don't. And so part of that retention process is remembering what their goals are. If their goals are to, you know, to be able to take their kids to work with them once in a while, remember that, allow that, help that to, to happen because that's important to them. You know, if their goal is to, to hit, uh, you know, to be the top salesman in their area, help them hit that goal. If, if, if it just depends on what those goals are and then to try to align your goals and they may not align the way that you want them to align and that's part of the key to retention, in my opinion. It's not all about what you want. It's about what they want as well. Mm. And so what you're speaking to right there is what I'm defining as true intention. Right? Really, and you're, we're using different language, right? You're putting in goals and I'm putting in intention. But what we're talking about is really understanding the nuance of what makes that person tick. And here's where I think things go off the rails. And so I'm interested in your take on this. A lot of times we have initiatives that are driven very much from the top down. And it's just very clear. There's a goal to meet, And within our culture, we don't really care whether that matches up with what you want as that salesperson. How do you... How do you how do you solve for that? And maybe, you know, maybe an organization of your size, that's a little bit more possible. I'm thinking about people in larger organizations where it's very top-down driven, but I can see where that becomes a real challenge for people sometimes, right? To be able to to be as intentional as you're talking, understanding what's important to that person while still meeting organizational objectives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as you peel back those layers. You know, it, I, I'm going to divert just a little bit to help answer that. When I used to do interviews, you know, I used to drive into those interviews and, you know, you were looking for an enthusiastic, energetic type person. And over time, uh, my interviews, you know, trying to hire that top talent has evolved. Right. And and part of that has changed to uncovering those layers. I, I want to find out what makes that person tick. I wanna find out what they want in life because if what they want in life is different or they're not gonna get there doing this job, then it's not a good fit, right? And, and I involved them in that process. They're, and in, in a true interview now, I think that those people that are being interviewed should ask as many questions of the employer as what the employer should be asking of them. They should be trying to peel back those layers and find out if this job can help them reach their goals. And so I, I think that that all ties back to the end, you know, to the end goal, right? So I, I think it's peeling back those layers and finding out what makes a person tick and, and then working together to get there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, one of the 
frustrations that I have about the work world today and the, the perception of people in leadership roles is it, it almost feels in some ways, and I guess this is the cost of being a leader, but it almost feels in some ways that there's uh, there's an unfair expectation that this leader is going to be able to figure out everything that you need in order to be able to make yourself successful. And so you brought up a really important point. Shouldn't the prospective employee in an interview situation be doing a good job of also asking questions and vetting whether or not this is going to be a good employer. And that's where intention is required on that side of the equation as well, right? Yeah. And and unfortunately, I think a lot of people lack clarity about what they truly want and about what's truly important to them. And, and, And then maybe they don't know to ask for it. Maybe they don't know to bring it up. And then six months down the road or 16 months down the road, all of a sudden there's dissatisfaction and disengagement Right, because you didn't know what you wanted. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it's an in interesting my, dance, right? People's stuff is messy. In my opinion, too, that that is our role as leaders, mm-hmm. and that is our role as a good leader, right? Back to those goals change, and then back to helping helping those employees figure that out. I mean, as a leader, we we should be working that angle or that direction to to know what that employee wants and what drives them and what makes them tick. And then we should be helping enable them to reach their goals, right? That That's our job to peel back the layers because sometimes they can't see it. So a good, a good leader should, should be leading that way, help mm-hmm. find out what's going to get them there to their goal. And then they will be a happy employee. And then that reverts back to your question. How do we retain them? If they're happy, if they're reaching their goals and, and feel powerful in that, and we help them do that. That's a good fit. Mm-hmm. That's a great fit, and 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 I love it. And I love that you say it with so much passion. There's so much uh, value and so much uh, just Im- important intention that goes into being an intentional leader. Now I'm using the word twice there to describe, to describe this person, but the, the more I start, and I'm, I've now been studying the word intention well before we started to create this podcast, a good nine months before we started recording episodes, I've been studying intention. I've been studying intentional leadership. Uh, I've been studying what, what, what's required in my life to be more intentional. And as the more I study it, the more life shows me all the, all the ways that I'm not intentional. Because <laughs> I'm starting to measure myself against a higher standard because of what I've realized, Dean, is how much work is required, how much presence is required to be intentional. Every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about culture for a minute. Uh, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of companies talk about it. I think, in my opinion, very few do a great job of executing against intentional culture. Just curious, what what do you think from your perspective is important about building an intentional workplace culture? I And I think that that's a good question too. Kind of makes you think for a minute. I think that one of the problems with culture is that we tend to lose sight of the end goal <laughs> with some of those small goals. And I think that Back back to a sales-driven organization and back to my roles in helping drive sales. If you have a culture at a company that 
that we're going to take care of our customers and we're going to we're going to thrive together. We're going to as they succeed, we succeed. Right. But you have a sales goal at the end of the year and you're driving towards that sales goal at all cost. Sometimes you can lose sight of the cultural goal or the big goal and the end game. And I think that that's part of the problem that we have with culture today. I think we lose sight of the culture that we that we want to maintain or that we want to drive. Or I also think cultures change and tend to shift a little bit. You get new leaders into an organization and younger people coming up and their culture is different than an older culture. And so back to your goals, maybe shifting a little bit, but at the same time, I think that has to be evaluated before you choose to shift. You have to look at it and say, do we want our culture to shift, right? Am I too focused on a sales number today versus an end game in play, right? And so it's kind of, kind of like getting to the Super Bowl, right? If the goal is to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, right, you can't get caught up when you lose one game in season. You learn from it, you strive forward, and you, you make some adjustments, and then you head for the Super Bowl. You keep going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's so important. You got to mean you have to keep your eye on on the prize. And if, if that's what's important to the leaders in that culture, I think, right, that that's what becomes important in the culture. And so some some teams develop a culture of being Super Bowl bound or national championship bound every year. As, as we record this, we're in the midst of the football season, right? It's October, middle of October. And, you know, I grew up a Minnesota kid, grew up in Minnesota. And this is, I'm not here to dig on, on Minnesota sports team, but I've had my heart broken enough times to just have a little bit of that hopelessness. And we have a culture in Minnesota. It's very interesting where I grew up. And I noticed this when I, once I left Minnesota and went other places uh, where at least when I grew up in Minnesota, we had this, we would say things like, man, it sure would be nice. It sure would be nice if we could get there and get to the playoffs this year. Sure would be nice, right? If the Gophers could win a few more football games. <laughs> and you felt really lucky when they did, right? And then, then I moved to Nebraska, which at that at that point hadn't had a good team in a while. But you know, they had the dominant culture in the mid-90s. So there's a significant expectation in football culture between Minnesota to Nebraska about winning. And, and they're everything they can until they get back to where they were in the mid nineties, you know, and I'm here, I'm, I love both those teams. And so I'm not here to like play one over the other, but that's one, the culture of a state even around what that means is so important uh, to how does, you know, I mean, you know, the PJ Fleck has had a pretty good run at university of Minnesota so far. We've had some nine and four seasons. We had a, maybe a 10 win season under him, get a lot of notoriety this year that I think they're going to be lucky to break about 500. Okay, got a new quarterback, new new offensive line, new running back. You got it takes time to get that team ticking together again, working within his culture there, right? And yeah. this is what they're they're gonna they're gonna do. And they're gonna they're I promise you they will try to get him fired. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait. This is what we do because we're now we're not getting there fast enough. But when you when you don't have that intentional culture built in, you make silly decisions like that without staying the course. Yeah, and I. And I think, once again, that plays back to us as leaders, right? If you have the wrong, if you've changed a couple pieces in that coaching organization to where you've lost that, then as a leader, you have to sort that out 
and fix it so you can head back into that winning culture. And if it's just if it's just you've got a rough quarterback or you've got a young quarterback and he's developing, stay the course. Make sure you've got everything that you need and continue to recruit and and back to the leadership part of that, right? I mean, that that's our job to to tweak and manage that culture with an end goal in mind of what we want that to look like. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, let's talk a little bit more about you. I, I'm interested in what uh, what what you've gone through, um, hurdles you've had to overcome, wins that you've had. What's the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome, Dean, as a leader? Yeah, so this is where you'll start to get know get to know me a little bit more, right? Because when I, you know, I guess when I looked at that question, I thought, you know, I was weighing all my work situations and different challenges, and and I guess the the biggest thing for me has been. Uh, we had cancer in our family. My wife got cancer when she was 37 and there was no history of it in our family. We had four young kids at the time. And, and as the leader of our family, I mean, that, that was the biggest challenge as I look back across my career and everything that I've done, that, wow. that was the biggest challenge that we've had to face. And you know, manage through, I guess. And that, that goes back to some of your goals change or get tweaked or get set to the side for a minute while you work on something else, you know, that, that kind of trumps some of that. So, you know, that was kind of a life, life altering event that we didn't see coming and uh, happy to report that my wife's still around and we've raised our four kids and they're all four married and, we have grandkids now, and I'm really thankful that she's here with me because <laughs> I don't think it would have turned out near as good without her. So Absolutely. very thankful for that. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that for you as well. And uh, it is, I think it says in the book that it is not good for man to be alone. And yeah. so I'm sure that has helped to, to keep things moving forward. You use some interesting language in there, though, which I want to I touch back on, which is uh, as the leader of my house. Right. And I, and I think in certain places, we still do a good job of, of thinking about ourselves that way. I know as a young husband, I did a poor job of that, thinking of myself as the leader of our house. I think in society as a whole, uh, we've emasculated young men and, and made it almost uh, toxic to be uh, to consider ourselves the leader of our house. Uh, and and, and it, that doesn't mean that there aren't shared responsibilities but ultimately somebody is the leader of the house. So as you went through that challenging time with your family, what was, what, how, how did that stretch you to be yeah. the leader of your house? So let, let's go back and dive in just a tiny bit deeper there. So when I say leader, you know, I, I think that we have responsibilities, but at the end of the day, my wife is the one that was raising our kids and doing such a good job because we're away working and busy and traveling for work. And at the end of the day, we lead together, right? That's part of why I said, man, I needed her there or they wouldn't have turned out the way they, they turned out. So we're leading the thing together. And I would say that that goes back to everything that we do. I mean, if you're the leader of an organization, you're, you're not in that alone. It's not just you that's making that thing a success. It's a great team right down to the, to the janitor, right? I mean, every single person is critical on your team and doing something important 
And, and it doesn't matter what role they're in. You need everybody clicking along in there. So when my wife got cancer, I suddenly had to revert and fill her role. And suddenly I'm helping cook the meals and I'm helping do the, you know, do the dishes and get the kids off to school and, and chase them after school and get them to their after school activities and do all the things that she wasn't doing. And for me, it helped me appreciate her more because suddenly I could see that I could see, man, she's, she's working twice as hard as me. I, I get to go to work and, you know, and I, I'm out of sight, out of mind of all this stuff, but she's there running around every day, holding that all together. And so a little bit of role reversal there. And I think it's really good for every leader to consider that and to put themselves in that situation, whether it's in your family or whether it's in your, in your work life, right. To appreciate how hard it is for some of those other, other jobs and to just be sympathetic or empathetic, you know, with them in their roles, you know, at times. And sometimes that's part of what it takes is just a, an understanding boss or an understanding partner that, you know, can, can appreciate all that they're going through. And, you know, she was fighting cancer. So you've got all of the ramifications that come with that. But on the other side, you know, she worried about all those other things. So being able mm -hmm. to step in and relieve that, relieve that worry, you know, and let her concentrate on getting better and fighting the good fight. You know, I yeah. think it was really good for us. Yeah. Well, well, you've said it a couple of times and some people say it, that was a great question. And I'm going to say that was a great answer. And I really appreciate you sharing all that. That was a perfect perspective in my opinion. So appreciate that. I do have a question as you're going through that and having to start now helping help out with the meal prep. What, what was your go-to dad meal, right? Every dad, every dad's got like a time-saving simple meal that they put together in a, in a pinch. What was, what was your, what's your favorite one? <laughs> So I'm going to share a, a short story. So I grew up on a dairy farm and okay. my mom and dad would go early, early mornings to milk cows. And we had chores. We had to get up early and do our chores. Mm -hmm. And when they got home from milking cows, it was expected that we would have our chores done and have breakfast on the table. So me and my brothers, you know, we divide that up. So one of us every morning was making breakfast and we rotated around that. So my go-to meals are breakfast meals. Okay, I can make perfect. breakfast. I can make pancakes and French toast and burritos. I can do it all from, from a breakfast standpoint. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I love it. I recently had a, had an experience as a, um, <clears throat> my role uh, as, as a parent and in, in, in split family. So I, when, when, the, when the, the weeks, when the kids are at my house, I have taken it upon myself. So my mom very intentionally throughout the, until I was a senior in high school made my lunch every morning. I was a spoiled kid. Now I have three sisters, the youngest of which is 12 years older than I am. So it was very much kind of like an only child coming up as the only boy and as the fourth and so on. So anyway, my experience was that I really appreciated that. And I wanted to pass that grandma love on to my kids. And, uh, but recently um, I, there was a, a workout that I wanted to attend with a group of men locally. Uh, that's a, it's the meets at five 30 in the morning and I can't logistically do that, get back to the house uh, and then get the kids out of here on time in order to be able to get them to school in Chapel Hill on time. Mm 
it just doesn't, it does logistically doesn't work. So finally, after enough frustration, I said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. So on the evenings, I had them pack their own lunches, finally started moving this to that way. So they started packing their own lunches. And in the morning I said, Hey, make sure that you got your alarm set for 6am. I'm not going to be here to get you guys up. You got to, you got to manage all this on your own. Make sure you're ready, have your breakfast, be ready to go when I get back so that we can go on. And so this was, a, I started out as a complete experiment, right? I'm like, I don't, I don't, and I don't think this is going to work, but worst case scenario, a couple of days were late for school. <laughs> and I got back on the first day, Dean, and here they are, they're sitting on the couch. They were clothed. They were fed. They had gotten up on time. Their lunches are packed. Their school bags are packed. Everything's ready to go. They managed it all themselves. In fact, they were ready 15 minutes earlier than normally when I'm babysitting this process. Day two, same thing. Day three, same thing. Day four, I'm like, all right, these guys are doing better without me than they did with me <laughs> managing this process, you know? And so uh, it, it's it's really cool. And I, I, when, when you think about, being intentional sometimes means letting go of some of that stuff, right? Just like your folks had to say, Hey, there's a lot of work to get done on a dairy farm. We don't have time to babysit every bit of the process. So you're going to get to develop some, some skill sets early on in life. Aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's pretty critical. I mean, it helps shape, shape who we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think I look at your kids too and, and think, man, they, they probably learned a lot from that grew from that. And there was probably less yelling in the process too, nagging exactly. out of the get ready. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They're doing, I think they do better without me. So we're, <laughs> which, Hey, you know what? They're, they're almost 16, almost 14 and, and eight. They're just at that point in life where, you know, three more years they're on their own anyway. So very cool. Uh, well, uh, what's been your biggest win as a leader? We're going to do a little bit of a speed round here so we can uh, get this in. Yeah. Time. But yeah. Talk to you. What's been your biggest win as a leader? So I would tie it back to the previous question, right? I would say family. You know, we work and do everything that we do at work, but at the end of the day, we do it so that we can have a, a family and have a family life. And so it, it feels pretty good to be having grandkids and to have four married kids and to be in that spot of life right now. So I would, I would attribute it back to that. That's been my greatest win. I love it. Blessed with legacy. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Who's been somebody that you have admired over the course of your career? <laughs> you know, I this is a good question, too. And I've thought a little bit about it. And, you know, one of the standard answers is your dad, right? Or your mom, you know, and I, I would say my answer to that question is probably it's probably about a half a dozen different people. You know, your your dad is really good at some things. And I've learned a lot from my dad. There are other things that maybe not so shiny at, <laughs> right? And probably I'm probably the exact same way as a dad. So I hope my kids don't hold it against me. And I look at, I look at different bosses that I've had and different coworkers and different people that I've interacted over the years. And, and I see a half a dozen of them that each helped shape me into who I am, each with a different strength. So I would say not any one person, but a half a dozen different ones that that I could glean from their example. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the opportunity of, to have interacted with so many good people. Yeah. You know, I mean, we are we are all built upon the shoulders of people that have gone before us. We're all capable of doing the things that we 
get to do in our careers and in our lives because of the the, the sacrifices and the examples and the help uh, that we've had. I have a, I would encourage people to do this. I have a, a running list. I look at this on Mother's Day and what it, what it is, is a list of all the women that have supported me in becoming who I've been able to become good, bad, or indifferent, but these are the people I know I couldn't be who I am today without this list of, and that it is a very long, it's getting to be a very long list. There's about 30 names of it on it of women from my mom to my sisters, to my wife, uh, to, uh, to, to friends that have supported me and, um, and church leaders that have supported me and other people that have had a major influence on, on the course of my career. Like I would not be able to be who I was without that. So that's a, uh, it, it's a shared responsibility, isn't it? The people that we, yeah. Admire. And it's, it's fun. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, uh, what kind of book ought, uh, should, should we be looking at or, or listening to, <laughs> What do you like? Audible, reading books? What's your What's your take? Yeah, so I do a lot of Audible just because uh, I travel a lot, right? I mean, with my job and work. And so I listen to a lot of books. But if I had to pick a book, and it's an old book, right? But if you haven't listened to Who Moved My Cheese or looked at that book, I mean, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And when I look at it, it still pertains today. I, I think that our work, our workforce, our people, the young generation coming in, I think our cheese is constantly moving. And I think that's a good book and a good reminder book to, you know, if you haven't read it, I'd read it. It's an old one, but it's a good one. So I think that's a great one, especially with all the, 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 the just the growth and the upstarts and you know, so much startups in the agribusiness space right now. A lot of acquisitions, a lot of mergers. Uh, we just this is constantly happening. So if you're going to stay in the industry, at some there's a really high chance at some point you're going to go through a situation where somebody's going to move your cheese. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, uh, how do you keep your energy up? What's uh, what's your and what's your ways for maximizing productivity? Get up early. Get I up early. You got to get up early. I mean, even if you have a hard time shutting down at night and have a hard time sleeping, I think it helps everything to get up early. And I find on days when I don't get up early that that I just don't get enough accomplished. And so I would say just get up early. And whether that's to spend a few minutes reading or run to the gym or go for a walk or whatever you're going to do, I, I just say that's that's pretty key for me. Get up early. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right. Uh, last question I want to get, get into with you, Dean, is you want to talk about um, vulnerability a little bit and from a leadership perspective, how, how important is vulnerability and being able to create an intentional environment to work in? Critical. I think it's critical. I think that, yeah, it, it keeps it real, right? I think that everybody that's out there is looking for something, right? Whether it's you know, success with their family, whether it's money to raise a family or success with their job or. And so, you know, as leaders, we have to be receptive to that. And oftentimes we're, we've been right there, too. You've been in the same spot. So opening up and sharing a little bit of that, I think that I think that culturally we've seen a shift to where, hey, you're not supposed to share anything about religion and you're not supposed to bring up family and you're not supposed to bring up marriages. And there's so many things that they say we can't do. And and I would say I think we need to open up and be a little bit vulnerable and and share some of that. Right. I I think it's OK to pray about our work and pray about our families. And I, I think that that's all right. And I think it's OK to bring that up. And 
you know, even if they pray to somebody different than me, I mean, they, it's okay to open ourselves up and share some of that, you know, some of that vulnerability of, Hey, we're just real people too. And just trying to, trying to get through this thing and do the best we can. So. Fantastic answer. And I could not, uh, could not agree more. Wonderful. Well, Dean, if you would, before we close this down, tell us a little bit about uh, your, um, what, uh, what you do, where you're at and how do we, how do we follow or, or get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I've, I've been in the retail agricultural space my whole life. You know, I spent a stint with Simplot. I spent a stint with a, a cooperative here in Idaho in the PNW. I, I spent a little stint with FMC and I look back at all of those and they all help shape me. I'm currently with a biological company. We're basic. It's a small family owned business. And we now sell to those same retailers that I, that I worked with. And and it's fun. It's a fun space to be in. It's developing rapidly and and it's good. It's healthy agriculture. It's it improves how our fertilizers are taken into the plant and how well they work and their efficacy. And and so it's fun to be on that cutting edge and to be there. to And I, and I like to help people. So I feel like farm grade has a unique a unique product and a unique fit. So fun to be able to help people, help farmers, help retailers as they help farmers. And so that, that's what I do. That's where, that's where I'm at right now. So Fantastic. appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit with you. Yeah, man, it's that. been a lot of fun and very insightful. Um, one of my favorite things about all this is I just get to, I get to learn from great, uh, great minds and great guys like you. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks Mark. Appreciate it. I hope today's episode brought you a great deal of value about what it takes to lead life and lead in this industry with intention. If you want to go deeper on the topic of leading with intention, I encourage you to head on over to intentionaltoolbox.com and get the seven free tools that will help you to lead your life in all areas with a greater deal of intention. That's intentionaltoolbox.com. And finally, if, if this message resonated today, if there's something in here that you got value from, I promise you there's someone else in your life who also would get value from this. So please share the episode, share the podcast, and make sure that you subscribe.